You're listening to a sermon podcast for a time like this from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. We continue our journey, our long journey through these stories from the book of Genesis. I trust that you're not getting tired of them at all. I mean, June 15th was the first dive in, and over the past six weeks in a row, I've I've been preaching this, and before Rachel went on her study leave and some holidays, she preached one as well. And when she comes back next week, she gets actually one of the most lovely, uh, interesting, engaging stories in the whole series. It's a lot of this one narrative, but that's actually important. I mean, sometimes all you need is, is this particular verse or this particular chapter or this particular psalm But part of being soaked in Scripture also means following the long narrative arc and finding ourselves surprisingly in it, no matter how strange it is in so many ways, how different a world. And today's reading comes from a different world. Began as follows, Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Let me bring you up on what has happened since last week's episode in which Jacob, fleeing from his brother Esau, had his dream of a ladder and angels ascending and descending and heard the word that God promised to be with him through thick and thin. And frankly, at that moment, fleeing for his life from his enraged brother, Things were on the thin side. Now, Jacob's journey has taken him to Haran. It was his destination in the first place, to the homeland of his mother, Rebekah. He's arrived at a well where he encounters shepherds watering the sheep. He asks if those shepherds happen to know his uncle Laban. Oh yes, we know Laban well. And look, right there, here comes his daughter, Rachel, to water his flocks. This point, Jacob leaps into action. He rolls the stone away from the mouth of the well. He waters the flock that Rachel has brought with her. And then, in the words of the text, quote, Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And so she ran and told her father. Pause for a minute. Evidently, Jacob is quite smitten right from the beginning, and I hope that Rachel was too. As his kiss and his tears precede his introduction of himself as being her kin. Prior to that, he's just a total stranger who's watering the flocks. Different world, remember? Well, when Laban hears that his nephew has arrived at the well, he races out to greet him. Much as years before Laban had raced out to that well to greet the servant who'd been sent into the territory to find a wife 
for Jacob's father, Isaac. In that case, though, that servant had come with fine jewelry and a whole retinue of camels, which was probably the thing that most caught Laban's eye. Here now, Jacob is alone, no camels. He's traveling light. But Laban welcomes him all the same. And he stays and he works for Laban for a month, apparently biding his time before again trying to kiss Rachel. That's where today's reading picks up. And Laban said to Jacob, Because you're my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Well, the text says that, quote, Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were lovely. Now, older translations say her eyes were dim, but lovely is actually apparently a better uh, translation of the Hebrew. And Rachel was graceful and beautiful, and Jacob loved Rachel. And on account of this love, Jacob vows to work seven years for Laban in return for her hand in marriage. Seven years, which suggests that he's in no hurry at all to go back home to risk the wrath of his brother Esau, who he'd cheated and conned. Good deal, Laban effectively says. Let's have a drink and seal the agreement. Notice that Rachel's voice is entirely absent here. Unlike her mother, Rebecca, she's not even asked if she's open to this arrangement. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. It's kind of an eloquent and romantic expression of the heart. Again, one hopes Rachel is kind of sharing that emotion. And then the time comes. The wedding feast is set in motion. Jacob is in full celebratory and amorous gear. But what do you know? At the final hour, Laban replaces Rachel with Leah in the wedding tent, something Jacob doesn't even clue into until the morning. Here, Catherine Schifferdecker Riley comments, quote, Jacob's shock is evident in the text. In the morning, behold, it was Leah. One could mentally substitute an expletive here for behold to get the full effect of the Hebrew text. The narrative is almost startlingly compact given what the story is saying. How could Jacob not realize what Laban had done? Schifferdecker's comment is that, quote, the man who deceived his blind father Isaac is now himself deceived while blinded by night or by too much celebrating. Too much celebrating. I'll get back to the question of deception and blindness, but I really want to focus on that, that great phrase, too much celebrating. Now, as I did two weeks ago, I want to read to you from Frederick Beekner's brilliant and earthy novel, Son of Laughter, which retells this whole cycle of stories. 
because it actually gives a really strong sense of how Jacob might have fallen for Laban's plot. Until I read this, the earthiness of the story never quite caught me. So, Beekner has adopted now the voice of Jacob, and he writes, I have long since forgotten the seven years, but the wedding at the end of the seventh I cannot forget. For two days the men feasted. Down to the lowest water carrier, Laban left no man out. The dung gatherers were there, the plow makers, the brick makers, the winnowers who with their forks tossed grain and chaff into the sky for the wind to sift them, the shepherds and the goat herds, the one-legged man Laban sent into the city for bartering because he thought the merchant might be less liable to cheat anyone so pitiable. All manner of races and dances and hand-clapping there were, the whining and mooning of pipes and windy ram's horns, the slap of goatskin drums, the dithering of baked clay rattles filled with pebbles. There were fires of brush piled sky high to shatter the night into flickering shards. Beer and date wine poured heavy as the winter rain. Whole oxen were turned on spits, Wheat loaves overflowed panniers. Ash cakes kneaded with olive oil jostled honey cakes dusted with cinnamon. Laban was everywhere at once, hugging and punching, beer-breathed, sweat-stained. One night he did a high-stepping, thigh-slapping, next-to-naked in front of one of the fires with his dugs heaving while overhead the god's sin hid half his pitted face for shame or for envy. When the time came, it was Laban who fetched the bride from his house, where she'd been waiting with the women. Laban led the procession. He had ropes of flowers round his neck. He waved his arms from side to side and swung his hips. He shouted greetings. The night was starless. There were torchbearers. The pipes wailed in a high-pitched frenzy. The women who had kept out of sight all during the men's feasting were so relieved at being allowed to come out at last that many of them spun like tops as they moved. Some had tambourines. Children and stray goats ran along beside them. I waited in the dark bridal tent alone. I was naked except for a shift. I was half blind with desire as well as with the wine. Like one of the torches, my flesh was on fire. When they brought her into me, all night I burned like a flame with the bride whom my eyes could not see through the darkness. Next morning, I searched out Laban. <laughs> no kidding, he searched out Laban. How could you do this to me? Seven years I worked for Rachel's hand, not Leah's. The deceiver who tricked his blind father Isaac into giving him the older twin's blessing has now been caught up 
deceived by an uncle who is even more of a wheeler dealer than he is. But there's more. Again, from Catherine Schifferdecker. The sense of poetic justice goes farther than saying the deceiver was deceived. Jacob had broken the law of the firstborn when he tricked his brother Esau out of his birthright and his blessing. Now Jacob is caught by another law of the firstborn. Laban explains that the younger daughter cannot be married off before the firstborn daughter. The trickster is tricked. The punishment fits the crime. Laban moves quickly to offer another deal. Jacob, promise me an additional seven years of work. Then just wait a week. We'll have another wedding, this time to Rachel. Again, in that very different world, all this seems to make sense to Jacob. And so with a sigh, he agrees. He will marry this woman, Rachel, over whom he has been so smitten with love. But as the story rolls forward, it will still be marked with complexities, and most specifically a deep-seated rivalry between the two sisters, now Jacob's two wives. Well, there's one very basic insight right off the top. While God had promised to be with Jacob, to accompany him through thick and thin, God had not promised to save him from having to face the consequences of his own sorry decisions and bad actions. Yes, he will be accompanied, loved, protected by God, yet there are still very real consequences to the way he had been living. God is not a talisman to be carried for protection, in other words. God accompanies us through the thick and the thin. It's a truth that still stands. But more, as Schifferdecker puts it, quote, it seems that God is working with this flawed man to remake him. Jacob, after stealing Esau's blessing, is caught in a net of his own making. The deceiver is deceived. The one who broke the law of the firstborn is caught by another version of it. Jacob lives in exile from his homeland and has to work for 14 years without wages for love of Rachel. All these experiences will help to remake the shallow man we first met in Genesis 25, into the father of the nation Israel. God, it would seem, is able to use all manner of people in their choices, sins, shallowness, manipulations, and failings to still bring about God's work. That can take a long, slow road with lots of stumbling along the way. It's a long, long road for the remaking of Jacob. But if God can remake even Jacob, wrestle him to the ground and rename him Israel, Israel meaning God contends or God wrestles, if God can do that with somebody so sorry as Jacob, then God can work with, remake, 
call out, call forward anyone. You, me, anyone. It is a bit of great good news tucked carefully into an ancient, ancient story. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church, including further resources during these days of the COVID-19 global pandemic, or to provide support for our online work, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. Thanks for listening.